Listeners, welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim and I'm the host of this program. I was cleaning my room recently and came across some old journals I had written a few years ago. And in it were some prayer requests and some devotionals I wrote. I was flipping through some pages and came across a page of prayer requests I'd written on January 1st for the new year. It felt very strange to be reading these from years back. And on this page, I had a list of names of people in my life that still had not been saved yet, and also some of the worries and problems in my life I was praying for. As years have passed, and looking at those prayer requests, It reminded me of what struggles I was going through at the time. Of course now I've forgotten it all, but during that time those were the biggest worries in my life. It felt like those times would never go by and my problems would never be resolved. However, God works in ways I could never imagine. Through His people and through His miraculous ways, I've realized now that He has not failed to resolve and answer every single prayer request I've lifted up to Him. There is really no other way to explain this, but to say that everything that happened was by the grace of God. Looking back, when the issue is resolved, I see God behind it all. But when a new problem lies before me again, I see myself lacking trust in Him, trying to face a problem myself, despite all the countless times I've experienced Him work in my life. Let's come back to share more after our first song. Here in my field, give me the strength to trust you. When my vision's blurred by tears, give me your hope for tomorrow. Cause today has gone so wrong, I'm on my knees. Give me the faith to believe. Even when I can't see you, you're still shining, you're still shining. You 
still shining Even when I can't hear you, you're still calling out my name We face endless issues and problems as we live. When one issue is resolved, we have another one ready for us. There are many times where we confess we have laid it all down before God, but we see ourselves worry and fret trying to control the issue ourselves, instead of letting God handle it. But God knows every method of resolution, even before the problem has even occurred. There is only one thing we should do in the midst of all our struggles. We need to wholeheartedly believe that God will resolve them for us and to trust and rely on Him and seek Him for help. There are often times we don't even ask God for help because we're afraid He may provide us with an answer that we don't want to hear. However, when we try to take on the responsibility of solving our own problems, God will slowly step aside until we experience our own failure, and He will quietly wait until we come back to Him on our knees and seek His help. We know very well from the Bible the story of Abraham and Sarah. God promised them a son, but as years passed, Sarah was not able to conceive, and they turned their eyes away from God and decided to handle the situation on their own. Abraham slept with Sarah's Egyptian servant, and they together had a son named Ishmael. Of course they gave birth to Isaac, the son God promised, but due to the disobedience of Abraham and Sarah, we still see the history of separation among the Jews and Muslims to this very day. If Abraham and Sarah wholeheartedly had their trust in the Lord, I think about what difference it could have made. Then what about the story of King Saul and David? After David defeated Goliath, Saul saw that David earned the trust of all the people and was receiving God's love. His jealousy led him to chase after David all of his life as he tried to kill him. What he thought was the greatest barrier in his life, David, Saul tried with his own strength and will to deal with it. However, in contrast, David lived his whole life being chased by Saul. There were numerous times in which he had the opportunity to kill King Saul, however, he does not take him with his own hands, because he knew this wasn't the way of God. Although he may have wanted to and could have killed Saul, he knew Saul was a king appointed by God and waited patiently for God to reveal his time and ways. David was able to endure those long and brutal times because he was able to see God behind all of his problems. He believed that God saw all that he was facing and furthermore believed he would resolve them for him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death Your perfect love is casting out fear And even when I'm caught in the middle 
of the storms of this life. I won't turn back, I know you are near, and I will fear no
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Test the Spirits, Part 1, based on the scriptures of 1 John chapter 4, verse 1-6. through 6. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Mark Martin. 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Let's pray for God's Holy Spirit to direct us. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, for his work here with us, and for just the sweetness with which he gives to us direction and the way you've blessed us. Thank you that we can meet here tonight, and we can be encouraged in your word. Lord, I pray that you will please uh, give us an understanding and comprehension, and we're always praying for application in our lives of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many, what? False prophets have gone out into the world. Someone was telling me that, The other day, a cultist came to their door, somebody in a cult, and they were were reasoning with them, just talking with them. They said, you know, the Bible says many false prophets will go out and have gone out into the world. Could it be possible that you've been deceived? That's the danger of following modern-day prophets. Somebody has asked, uh, last week, they were just saying, Is there a gift of prophecy today? Yeah, of course there is. The Bible talks about it. But that is, it is not the gift of foretelling the future. It isn't really even the gift of getting visions from God, though God does give visions today to some and dreams to others and leads us primarily, though, by his word. I would never go out on a, on a major venture for the Lord based on a dream or based on a vision. I'd want to follow his word and get counsel from it. But the Bible says New Testament prophecy, and a New Testament prophet would be somebody who speaks to us to encourage us, to edify us, to console us. Look at 1 Corinthians 14 just for a second, because... I think when we talk about prophets and prophecy as Christians, we want to know what our term means in the New Testament. So looking at 1 Corinthians 14, just want you to know what a New Testament prophet is. I mean, sometimes we think, well, you know, it's somebody who they go into a trance and they get this revelation from God and then they write it down and they've got extra books. One of the marks of a cult is they have books outside the Bible that they consider to be inspired. Or an organization they consider to be inspired that's outside of the Bible. One of the things we hang on to as Protestants and as Christians is that the Bible alone is our authority. And we follow the Bible alone. And, you know, within the parameters of Scripture, of course, he's established the church and he's established local churches and authority within that church, but it's all submitted to the Word of God because there has to be a place where we all um, get our standard from. And so the Bible is like the square that you build the house by. It's, it's the, the rule 
of faith and practice. The sola scriptura, the Latin which means the Bible alone, was one of the founding cries of the Reformation. And the reason why we're Protestants is we believe in the Bible alone. We believe in salvation by faith alone. And we believe in salvation by grace alone. And those are the things that were recovered in the Reformation by Martin Luther and Zwingli and others um, that had been ignored or lost during the Dark Ages. Now, the gift of prophecy... In 1 Corinthians 14, is defined for us. Pursue love, it says in verse 1, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may what? Prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. He says, so if you have the gift of tongues, it's great, but it's really for personal edification more than anything. It really doesn't even edify the church that much. As you read the second half of chapter 14, he's saying, you know, it really isn't that edifying for the church. And he says, I would rather speak just a few words in a language that everybody understands than 10,000 in a tongue at church. Personally, at home, personally, in my prayer time with God, the Apostle Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. But at church... I'd rather speak just five words with my understanding, with my mind, that I may instruct others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So that's verses 18 and 19, when he's talking about tongues and their use in the church. And so that's kind of cool, because I think a lot of people, you know, they don't understand the Apostle Paul's preference at church. So he's saying, at church, verses 18 and 19, let's speak in the language everybody understands. Then he does allow for it. He says, but if you must, going on to the end of the chapter, okay, but not more than a couple. And then there always has to be an interpretation. But you have to understand that the people who are your guests will think you're nuts. And so he says, do you really want, you know, you have to judge. What's more important to you? Here at Calvary, we've decided what's more important to us is reaching people with the word of God and the language that everybody understands. I make a a real point of trying to make it plain, make it uh, understandable. And... um, Simple, but not simplistic, and, and not have the other things that can distract from Jesus. Because people, you know, sometimes they'll do anything that they're looking for a reason to, to not have to believe, or they're looking for a reason to run. And if we can just take away those reasons, if we get out of the way, so to speak, you know what I'm saying? Then it's all Jesus, and Jesus gets everybody's attention. So I'm not demeaning the, the blessing of, uh, you know, the, the speaking in tongues or anything, but that isn't my topic tonight. But I'm just trying to explain some practice, and I think it makes sense, but that's the practice here, and I think it's based, I know, it's based on the Apostle Paul's preference. So it's like, if it's good enough for him, I think I'll go his way, you know? A Corinthian church is not the church I want to model my life after, that's for sure. All he does is correct it through this whole two, two letters to them. Now he says, uh, so one who speaks in a tongue does, speak to men, does not speak to men but to God. For one who un- but no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies, here you go. Here's the definition of New Testament prophecy. One who prophesies speaks to men for, read with me, edification and exhortation and what? 
consolation. That is the New Testament definition of prophecy. So as New Testament Christians, oh, there's prophecy operating all the time. Some of you already prophesied tonight. As you spoke to some brother or sister for edification, that means to build you up. You know, an edifice is a building. And so edification is a building up process. And as we speak to each other, and even as I'm doing that tonight, I'm prophesying. But we don't blow a trumpet and say, I'm a prophet. I mean, it's so natural. For exhortation, exhorting can means, it means you literally to come alongside somebody and help them walk. Think of somebody who has, needs a crutch and they only have one and you're going to be the other and you're going to help them walk. And so we come alongside with the word of God, with encouragement from Jesus to, to exhort someone, come alongside. And sometimes that exhortation is, is kind of punchy. You know, it's, it's like, whoa, you know, it's kicking the seat of the pants. And then consolation. When somebody consoles you, what do they do? What do you think of when, in, in terms of consoling? I, I kind of think of, you know, almost somebody, I'm hugging somebody and they're just crying on my shoulder. And I'm saying, you know, it's okay. It's okay. God, God's loving you. He's in control. I love you too, okay? Speaking to each other for edification, exhortation, and consolation. Isn't that cool? So New Testament prophecy isn't anything weird, you know? It's not anything strange. You do it. Neat, huh? How many of you this last week or within the last two weeks have spoken to somebody and you've encouraged them, you've built them up, I'm talking about in a Christian way, or you have consoled them, or you've come alongside them to help them out with your words. How many of you have done that? Look at all the prophets. You have exercised New Testament prophecy. Isn't that neat? And it wasn't weird. You didn't get all, oh, oh I feel it coming on. Oh, watch it. Oh, 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 you know, I got it. Oh, let me tell you. You know, you don't have to get weird. It's just the Spirit works through you naturally. <laughs> Verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Himself. But one who prophesies edifies the church. So if we have a testimony time and you were to just speak in tongues, you're edifying yourself, it still has to be interpreted for it to be of any edification to the church. So... Um, he says, and, and edifying yourself is fine. Don't think that that's bad. Don't use it as, an, as a gun to shoot somebody who's speaking in tongues, you know. You're just edifying yourself. Well, you know what? I need all the edification I can get. And if it means I speak in tongues and I'm edified, I would think in the long run that would benefit you guys. Or if you were, if you have that gift of the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues and it edifies you, we all are going to be blessed because you're built up. When you're ragging around in sin and having all these problems, it doesn't help any of us because we're all connected in the body of Christ, aren't we? When one of us is dragging, the rest of us are dragged along with you. When one of us is soaring in Christ, the rest of us are lifted up too. So self-edification is fine. But when we're all gathered together as a body, what I'm always thinking about is what's the most important thing for everybody. What is for your comfort? What is for your edification? What is for the flock's best good? 
And we always do what's the best for everyone, not just what's the best for one person. Always, that's what you think about when you come together. What's going to bless? And see, the world's mentality, gang, is we come together to get what we can get for ourselves, huh? In fact, you'll probably sell more of something if you talk about what it will do for someone rather than if you get this, this is what it can do for others. Right? You're going to, all the advertisements that you come to you through the internet, come to you on television, cable, all of these, they're all what this will do for you. See, because that's selfishness. But the Lord says when we come together, we're going to look to see what we can do for each other. And it's like, oh man, I always have to be reminded of that because I'm in a world that's pulling so hard the other way and the Lord's just saying, well, let me remind you of this. We're here for everybody else. And you know what always happens? When you come and you bless others, you always leave with a blessing, don't you? Have you noticed that? You'll always leave with a blessing. So New Testament prophecy is speaking for, verse 3, edification, exhortation, and what? Consolation. And you understand what those things are. It isn't a latter-day prophet who writes another book of the Bible or writes a whole other book that you have to believe in. That isn't it at all. That was Old Testament kind of stuff in the New Covenant. It doesn't work that way. In fact, can I just show you one more passage that has to do with the prophets and stuff? Look at Hebrews to the right of where we are right now. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1 and 2. Whenever somebody comes to me and brother so-and-so is their prophet or sister so-and-so is their prophet or they have an extra book outside of the Bible that's inspired, I always go, let's look at Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways... In these last days has spoken to us, and the Greek tense is, it means, has spoken to us once and for all. Through who? His son, or in, or by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. Jesus is God's last word. There isn't anything more. There's no last day revelation. You don't need a last day prophet. You don't need any end time prophet. There isn't any prophet coming. Jesus is the final word. You understand? He, I mean, God has spoken to us once and for all. You can add that in the margin of your Bible. That's what the tense is in the Greek. Once and for all, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is God's final revelation. He's all we need. Amen. I've got the new covenant. I have Jesus. Now let's go back to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, if that's true, then we can expect in these last days to see many false prophets, and there are. And we could go on all night kind of listing them and going over their names. I don't even think that's profitable, no pun intended. Why give them any advertising? Verse 2, by this you know. Here's how you can know if somebody is speaking for the Lord. You know the Spirit of God. Read with me. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is from God. Read verse 3 too. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of who? The Antichrist, of which you've heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. Well, if the Antichrist spirit was in the world in the first century, believe me, the Antichrist spirit is in the world today. Many false Christs have gone out and they're deceiving many. And the Bible says that in the very last days, the Antichrist himself will work signs and wonders, even making fire come down from heaven, or the false prophet will. The, he's the Antichrist PR man. He will deceive many people. If possible, he would even deceive God's elect of Israel in those last days. Now, we're not going to be here to see that, contrary to some. We're going to be with the Lord. We won't see the Antichrist. We're not going to see the false prophet, the, you know, Antichrist sidekick, the, the false prophet. But we have to be aware that in these last days, as these, the stage is set for the return of our Lord, that the world is going to be deceived because they don't have a love of the truth, Peter says. Every spirit <clears throat> that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. I don't know if you remember, when we were first starting the study of First John, we were talking about there were some very prevalent false teachings. And one of the false teachings was that Jesus, he was the Christ spirit. He wasn't really a man in the flesh. And, and that the Christ spirit just came upon him, upon Jesus the man, but the Christ spirit wasn't really incarnate. It didn't really become flesh. And just an odd, false teaching. And so in the, in the first century, it was very important to believe that Jesus had actually come in the flesh. He was very perfectly man and was perfectly God, a, a, an a mysterious combination of God and man. And so that was the strategic test in the first century times. And then he says in verse uh, 3, and everybody who says that Jesus uh, does, does not confess that Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. No. We have to understand, go beyond the first century issue. Because you can go to Mormons today and you can say, do you believe that Jesus Christ... Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he came in the flesh? And they go, yes. Oh, well then you're a Christian, right? Wrong. You can go to Jehovah's Witnesses and say, do you believe Jesus Christ came in the flesh? Yes. Well then, I guess you must be Christians, right? No. And I know today it's not popular to say anybody is wrong, except somebody who says someone is wrong, Right? But the Bible does say there's a right and a wrong. And, and the Bible and, and generally, nobody wants anybody to say anybody's right or wrong until you're wronged, right? Well, well that, that might be wrong to you, but it's not wrong to me. Until somebody bonks you over the head and steals your wallet, and then that was wrong. Why? Because it affected you? You know, there is moral right and moral wrong, right? Correct? I'm sorry to keep doing that. It's... The, the point of this is, what do you think about Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ biblically? And in whatever age it is, false prophets will always have a tweaked view of Jesus. They will all somehow miss the truth about Jesus. 
Today, the bigger heresy is not people saying, and a heresy is a false teaching. The bigger false teaching by false prophets is not so much that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, but it's that Jesus isn't God. That's the teaching that you see Jehovah's Witnesses teaching. They say, Jesus isn't God. No, he was a God. Little G-O-D. He was Michael the archangel. He was the firstborn of God. He was created by God, but the first of all creation, but he's not really God. But we have first, we have John 1, 1. And see, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? Everything was created by him. And the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything was created by him. was not anything created that was created. So we have the clear teaching of the scripture, which we could spend all night, really, We spent an hour and a half looking at verse after verse after verse that teaches that Jesus Christ is God. It's very important to believe. In fact, you cannot be a Christian without believing Jesus is God. Peace so 
can hardly think as you call me deeper still as you call All the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's program, or even download them on your device in just a few minutes. Search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes stores now. There are people who gave up their lives in honor of Christ, who gave us our everlasting life. Continued is a story of the many people who endured their life with faith. Titled "The Voice of the Martyrs," hello, listeners. This is Brian Winston with "The Voice of the Martyrs." There's a hymn called "I'd Rather Have Jesus." Whenever I sing this familiar song, I always ask myself if it is truly Jesus that I would rather have than anything else. We make this confession many times as we sing this hymn. But we have to admit that we are guilty of valuing many other things over Jesus in our lives. Is it hard for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? It is even harder for someone who is rich to enter God's kingdom. When Jesus teaches us this lesson in Mark 10:25, Jesus is not simply saying that rich men cannot go to heaven. Instead, he's saying that those who possess much will find it difficult to give up their belongings. It's difficult to give up wealth or fame. It is even more difficult to give up the comfort and stability. Needless to say, it would be an unimaginable challenge to give up our loved ones, especially our own children. However, Jesus clearly states in Matthew 10, "He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me." 
And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There is nothing more valuable than Jesus. There is no one on earth whom I can love more than I love Jesus. If we are willing to give up our own lives for Jesus, it would be proof that we value Jesus more than anything, including our own lives. In fact, countless martyrs chose to offer their lives because they would rather have Jesus. Among those, I would like to share with you a story of Vivia Perpetua. After the church was born, the world history witnessed 10 different periods of persecution. The persecution of Emperor Septimus Severus occurred between 191 and 211 AD, during which the emperor banned Christianity. Vivia Perpetua lived during this period of persecution. Perpetua was a noblewoman with an infant baby. However, due to Emperor Septimus's ban on Christianity, Christians of the time had to choose between abandoning their belief and going to jail. For Perpetua, who had received Jesus as her Savior, denying Jesus would be the same as denying the existence of the Son. How could anyone make false testimony by denying the Son when we see it in the sky and it brings us light every day. Even if we deny the sun and the light it brings, it does not become night. Because Perpetua refused to deny Jesus, she was arrested and put in jail. Perpetua's arrest put her father in the greatest agony. He visited Perpetua to try to convince her to give up. Don't you miss your baby? who will take care of your infant child. You were born into a noble family and grew up with abundance. Why do you need another God? Why do you want to make your parents suffer? Her father asked Perpetua all these questions, trying to persuade her out of Christianity. To her distressed father, Perpetua opened her mouth. Father, what is that? She asked as she pointed at a bottle in the corner of the jail. That's a bottle, her father answered. And Perpetua went on, As you cannot deny that a bottle is a bottle, I cannot deny that I am a Christian. I cannot give up my faith. She did not change her mind even at her father's pleading. In order to change Perpetua's mind, the governor Hilarionus began to beat her father in front of her. The sight of her father being tortured due to her own faith put Perpetua in great pain, yet she still could not leave her faith. She loved Jesus Christ more than anything the world could offer. As her day of execution came, Perpetua stood in the center of an amphitheater where she and several other Christians were attacked by wild animals as a form of entertainment for the large audience. After being severely wounded by the wild animals, Perpetua and the others were then put to death by the sword for not denying their faith in Jesus Christ. When the noblewoman Perpetua was arrested, 
Her father asked Perpetua to give up her faith and take care of her infant child and family. Perpetua in her early 20s declared that as nothing on earth can change their names, she cannot change her title as a Christian. She kept her faith till the end. Colossians 3.1-4 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the right things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Perpetua valued her faith in Christ over everything she had, her wealth, fame, stability, and even her child and parents, because she thought of what was in heaven rather than on earth. For those who value Jesus over anything else, the world is not worthy of them. Remember that nothing on earth is comparable to the glory of Jesus Christ that you will witness. This concludes this week's episode of The Voice of the Martyrs. Thank you for listening, and God bless.
because of what you've done Not because of what I've done But because of who you are I am a flower quickly fading Here today and gone tomorrow A wave tossed in the ocean Here are the scriptures of Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 through 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, said the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Although we may be standing in the middle of a crisis, I pray that all of our listeners may wholeheartedly rely on God and Him only through it all. Although we may not be able to understand our circumstances, I hope that all of our listeners may believe He knows everything and will lead us through it all. I hope that we may all be able to lay our own thoughts and will down before Him and trust that He will deliver us from our worries. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time again next week and God bless.
Thank you.